Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Paula Price Show, where you can experience scripturally organic, culturally unmodified teaching, get answers to your questions, and receive powerful prayer from your host, Dr. Paula Price, author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Tune in now and get ready for an exciting time of encouragement and transformation. Welcome your host, Dr. Paula Price. I'm telling you, I'm excited. Today is going to be a powerful show. Yes. Um, welcome, Blog Talk Radio, my oldest child in the broadcast arena, and welcome to Facebook and YouTube and everybody in between. I don't know where we go. They tell me I keep moving, so there we are. I thank God for this. We've been moving really powerfully here in Tulsa, and I think we're getting ready to move even more powerful. So welcome to the show. Wanted to do that. Want to talk about some of our offerings. Always like to get that out of the way. Um, Apostle Ashley just told me about that. Our, what is it, the one for this week, the archive? Audio archive of the week. Audio is. archive of the week is. Well, the, the second portion to Envy and the Evil Eye is up, and the plight of the orphan, how to get rid of the orphan spirit. And, you know, I'm excited about that. We're going to talk maybe a little bit about that. Maybe we'll kick around a little bit. Uh, and she says she has notes, so you know we're in it. We're, we're there. But I, I, I thank God for it. So the audio archive of the week, make sure you get those, but don't just get them for yourself. Here's some use suggestions. If you are a Bible um, student, then you should study it. If you're a person who wants to reach out in your neighborhood or help your family get free, because sometimes what it takes is tools. We've, we've scolded, we've punished, we've rejected, we've done all of those kinds of things, but what if we just shared information that makes sense? One of the things that God gave me was that I would have the mantle, the anointing to make him make sense to the 21st century, you know? And so, and, he, and, and we did, you know, we, for a long time, we had our long-standing broadcast, Let's Just Talk Where God Makes Sense. Some of you saw it around the country. It was on several networks at the time, and it was a, a literal talk session. We talked. I taught a little bit. That's where we got the teach, talk, touch. Talk, taught a little bit, talked a little bit with you, answered your questions, and then at, at the end of the show, I then touched you with prayer, with laying on of hands, healing and deliverance. That was a great show. It was very difficult. I was in my early, I think it was my first 
real serious solo thing. I knew I could have interactive answers. I knew I could have an audience engagement, and I absolutely loved it. People came, got prayers answered, got their words, um, words from the Lord, got some prophecy, and then we did healing. I mean, I touched, moved it out there to touch. Yeah, that's what I did. And out of that grew pretty much what we're doing now. Well, a, a lot of these audios that you're hearing go way back to that, and some of them go all the way back to New Jersey. When I was starting and not knowing what I was doing. You know, it's interesting. People start ministry and they want, and they really started thinking they know all there is to know and what they're doing. And it takes like 10, 15 years for them to realize and be honest enough to say, you know, I knew nothing. And I, I, I really needed to do a lot more. That's why I often, or, uh, often tell people you should start under someone that is credible, etc. I've been touching around that whole mentorship thing and whatever. Well, that brings me to our next title, which is the orphan spirit. You know, the church is right now drowning in orphanhood. I mean, drowning in the orphan spirit. And you don't know it because you think, well, I'm getting through every day. I'm making it happen. I'm fighting it through. And we've been so well taught on how to press through and push through no matter what. What we haven't been taught enough of is how to step back and take assessment, to do situation assessment instead of just plowing through until you get beaten to death, till folks just, you know, think you have no sense, you lose all credibility and respectability, and you're tens of thousands of dollars in the hole. What if we could prevent that? What if we could, as they say, get out in front of that and prepare for it? So the orphan spirit talks about it, and, and, and you know, um, <clears throat> And you know, Pastor Ashley going to tell her about this orphan spirit. So when we get into that discussion, because our Savior made a strange statement that we don't often uh, explain or dig into. We might hear it quoted where he said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. We've read, Jesus has said it, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. As we get into some of the things that we'll discuss about that orphan spirit, I want you to let that word kind of soak into your heart, soak into your head. Take off your religious cap. Let your, you know, let your theological guards down, you know. You know, we have those, you, uh, you know, I grew up in Newark where, you know, in a city, you know, we had pull-downs. And see, a lot of saints have pull-downs on the heart, pull-downs. You know, you've got that little heavy grace. Um, screen that comes down, makes a whole lot of noise, and, and wakes up everybody in the neighborhood, and it locks you out. You don't get to see in or peer into it, and nothing can get through it except a bullet or some sort of missile. So some some saints are like that. You have those pull downs. So may I encourage you, I want to encourage you to get your archive of the week, your audio archive, and share it. Don't share the one you buy. Give people how to go get their own. Because, see, saints, part, some of the reasons you are in trouble is because of your ethics. Some of us have poor ethics. Your ethics are, if it's God, it belongs to everybody. Well, so do the trees, and so does the paper that you have. And guess what? There are people that God has given proprietary right over it and proprietary privilege over it, and, you, and he did it for the prosperity of their lives. And so since heaven is built on exchanges, <clears throat> I like that, creation is built on exchange. You give I take, I take, you give, 
You know, he said if you get any, if you receive uh, spiritual things, then you should expect a material harvest. This whole idea, I just come to church to get fed. You don't go to any other restaurant to get fed and walk out unless it's your family restaurant. Your family probably going to get tired of that. Okay? So we have to, uh, uh, I wanna, when I start digging into this soul, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to put you on assignment to look at your ethics. Because some of you, your ethics are terrible. You, you feel like I can just use it because I said it's God. But, but you know what? You only do that in the church because all that other stuff doesn't. Like Christian artists tell you that this is God, and they do have a price tag on it. And some of them will not go easy on you when you breach the ethical protocols of righteousness. Righteousness means that. And so some of us, you, know, you can't get free because God's like, but you owe somebody something. You know, and we, you know, when you owe somebody something and they keep praying, God can't let it go. It can't get to the fear of forgetfulness because the person who was wounded and the person who suffered loss is nagging God. And there are some people out there nagging God about what you did to them. They're nagging God. And you can say, well, they ought to forgive and forget. You know what? Forgiveness and, and needing and wanting reparations and restitutions are not the same. Because you left them a blow in their life, a hole in their heart, a deficit in their economy. They, you know, they're a disrepute. And, and you, you know, you messed up their reputation. And you did it. And you did it because you thought, hey, it's okay. But see, that's the wisdom of this world. That's flesh. So your flesh assaulted their flesh, but it also disrupted their destiny. Sometimes you can, people can let it go, and we never think about it again. God, I thank you. I'll leave it with you. But there are times that you halt people's destiny. You halt their pursuit of destiny. They can't move from that place. And there are people who will lay there and suffer under disappointment and depression, take their little, uh, you know, uh, medication that they get to feel better as they live through the trauma, as they live through the rips and tears and the blows in their soul. But I want to tell you something, and this is hot off the presses. If you did something to someone, because, you know, we have this cavalier attitude about forgiveness. Well, they just have to forgive me. Well, first of all, you need to make sure God forgives you because if you never repent and God doesn't forgive you, so guess what? They're going to be stuck too. But if you did something to someone and you literally halted their destiny, they can't move forward because of what you stole, because of what you did, because of what you said, because of what you refused to do for the, or because of the promises you broke. I, I'm telling you, heaven will not let you off the hook. Because you didn't just offend them. You literally mutilated their path to life fulfillment. And God has to deal with that. So you have people who can't go forward. And you, you, you might say, well, I'm fine, but your kids aren't fine. Your wife isn't fine. Your husband isn't fine. Your business may be booming, but all you've got is dollars. Every other sign of prosperity is deprived you, denied you. You don't have those signs because you halted someone else. God literally ties up yours. I don't care if it looks like success. I'm telling you, it's success with vermin. It's success with pestilence. It's success with uncleanness. It's success with destroyers. So I'm telling you, I don't, uh, whoever you are, and a lot of you all have done that. A lot of you all have torn up churches. You have, you have belittled pastors, pastors who were good, not, 
You know, it's funny, like, like Paul said, if somebody comes to rip you off, you'll gladly receive them. But me, because I'm coming in truth, you want to obviously abuse me and take advantage of my meekness and my humility before Jesus Christ. So I would say to you right now, if you're responsible for that, you need to go make reparations because that will never leave your house. That's what God said about Saul. He said the things that Saul did were so heinous that they never left his house to the point that God stopped his line from producing male seeds because he did not want that sperm reproduced in the future. See, these are the mature things that people don't make sense to you. And so you you following that, well, you know, God is love and, and God's got to forgive and you got to forgive me. No, 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 no. Even if I forgive you, the fact that you have debilitated my ability to pursue my destiny means that forgiveness or not, you cause loss to the kingdom. You cause loss to the church. You cause loss to the realm. You cause loss to society. People are not getting what those people were supposed to have because not everybody is strong enough to have that bounce back. And some people need, need the offender to come back and mend them. And if you've been an offender, you need to go back and be a mender. Some of you all, you cause pastors to leave their churches, and you cause them to get kicked out of this and that. And in your mind, I'm sorry, but it just, I, I just didn't agree with that. But I'm telling you, heaven doesn't agree with you. You better make sure when you put your agreement stamp on something or your disagreement, you need to make sure that heaven agrees with you because if heaven doesn't agree with you, it's not walking with you because how can two walk together except they be agreed? See, this is apostleship wisdom. So you how you listen to a lot of people exploit folks. Um, you have people that you owe them seeds, owe them seeds, because God told you to bless them. And you know what? You sent it to a wealthy minister because you thought it was going to give you a better harvest, and you got zip on that harvest because that minister did not earn that seed. That minister, I don't care how famous they are, how prestigious they are, you did not do it, you, and, and you couldn't have been there for the righteous. You don't know whether they're doing right or wrong by God, and it doesn't matter. But you disobeyed God. You sent your seed to someone who didn't earn the harvest. That was a doctrine. Remember, do we all, some of you all business people, your businesses died because you followed that doctrine. Because God is like, if you unjust right now at the inception, then you're going to be in, up unjust when I bring you into the prosperity. So I'm not doing it. Some of you all, because you're like, well, I know God told me to do it. He also told you to do a lot of things, but you did the self-serving thing, but you didn't do the subservient or the sacrificial thing that God told you to do. See, there's a lot of reason for orphan spirit. There's a lot of reason for why God is not walking with you any longer, why he didn't fight for you when you stood in front of that judge, why he didn't fight for you when you, st- when you um, went to file for your money or you hired an attorney. God didn't fight. He left you alone. Because you will cause something he needed to die, to be deprived, and God hates that. So that is why the church is in trouble right now. Some of you slinging money at preachers you know don't like God. And you know what? You're slinging money at them as if the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ approves, ain't going to give you a harvest. But he doesn't. The God that, you, that moved you to disobey your Savior is the God who is collecting that harvest. I always say that, and, you know, we get these people 
that, you know, because I get people to say, well, you know what, I don't believe that. I remember, I remember helping somebody start a business. I promise you. I was fighting, I mean fighting to survive, to stay alive. Now, I'm trying to start a ministry, they start a business. And I, you know, I give up my time, I go, I sit and sew and, and help write and all those kinds of things. And that person gave their harvest to the wealthy ministers. And I'm and, and, and still doing it, as far as I know. And every time it came time to give me something, they gave me a pittance and then made me jump through nine hoops for that little piece of pittance. And I'm telling you, when you do that to God's people, it, you have to first ask God, is this something that's important to him? Because God's going to defend God. And God's going to defend his word. And he's going to defend his will. And he's going to defend the seeds he sows in the ground. And see, we are, we've been taught, that whole crazy doctrine taught you to curse seed and go and try to ingratiate yourself with finished works. So you are, no, you, you got to sew up and not down. There's no way. Now, how do you sew up when the ground is down? See, some things don't even make stupid sense. The ground is beneath your feet. Not, you can't sow anything in the cloud. And if you are sowing in the cloud, you need to find out what spirit is catching it. See, there are things that are illogical. So a lot of you all, you stole from those ministries that you didn't appreciate. You stole from the ones, the ministers that everybody had a problem with or they didn't like it. You never asked God if that was a future seed that he was giving you the privilege to securing for him so that that would become a passive harvest. You won't even have to work for it because you already worked for it when you saw to it. We have gotten to the point, whoever heard of folks not taking care of the babies and sitting there and making the adult children fat? Who heard of that? Where is that God? And then you're mad because these people got all of this money to, to abuse your Savior. So every baby thing God has, you ignore it, you crush it and starve it so that you hopefully can get a harvest from whatever. But that's not how harvest works. You can sow in their ground. I have nothing about it if if that's what God tells you, but you need to make sure we need to get our head on straight. This is part of the hard reset. Some of you are saying, God, why didn't my business work? Go back and look at how you disobeyed or obeyed him when you you were in your formative years or when your business was in its seminal days. Well, I just, man, I just sold to all the, and half of these big ministers, you sold into them, they're gone. And the little ones that you ignored are taking their place. They're gone. They're, they're sick. They're dying. They're dead. Heart, they're retiring. So you have to make sure that you clean that up. So if you, especially if, uh, if, if what you ignored that God assigned you to do took blows, you will take those blows. Because as a man soweth, so does he reap. We sing all of these songs about your harvest is coming. Your, your, listen, the ground is gone. And we act like the ground only produces good seed and good harvest. But the ground produces according to the nature or the condition of the seed sown in it. Isn't that good? And then let's talk about this. Then you're mad. Now we have this whole thing about you're all upset about, well, I ain't sowing no more because I sold all of this stuff, but I gave my this or that. You might have put it in the wrong ground. Don't get mad at us. Don't get mad at Jesus. Go get to the ground. Because God said when you miss 
appropriate his seed, he curses your harvest. He said I curse it. He said that. So you have to go and make sure before you just go running out there to do this or that. I can't even tell you the list of people who have literally, literally made huge promises to me. Then keep one, not one. I, I mean, I found out that when I, I said to God, so is the rule when you get big, you can break your promises with impunity, with no consequences? Yeah, the Lord told me to get behind you. Where are you? You so far behind me, you in another ship. <laughs> the Lord told me to bless you, Dr. Price. And where are you? You over there blessing someone else who gave you a piece of gossip that was wrong. You see? Because when your heart, when your heart is for God, nobody can get you to break your word to him. Nobody. You will lose your house, your car, whatever, because you gave your word. And sometimes that's a test for God to know that if he gives you instructions, you will obey him. And so if you didn't obey him when life was good, you understand you're going to be, even if you obey him when life is bad, you don't have enough money to be beneficial to him because you're struggling. You have relationships. Some of you all, God told you to start a church, and because it gave you difficult times, you shut your church down. You you didn't even give God a chance to prove his word. You didn't give God a chance to send people. You didn't give him a chance because, hey, you would try to be like so-and-so. This is grow-up soul. This is soul maturity. See, a lot of us have physical maturity, and we may have intellectual maturity. I, I question that. We may even have mental maturity. But when your soul is immature, the enemy knows by all of the spaces there what he can do and what he can't do. But everything is about getting you to rob God. That is why Malachi talks about when a man robbed God, and he talks about through other passages that people rob him. They, he said uh, uh, there, there are prophets who steal his words and won't give him credit for it. Because, hey, we don't want people to feel bad about Jesus. Then don't use his words. Go find somebody else. Say, say it for something else. He talks about that. He talks about all of the, the, the orphans that, if, if anybody has any kind of uh, sense of research, key in the word orphan. Key it in. Orphans. See how many times it shows up. Y'all do it. Key it in for me. Orphan, orphans, and orphans. Because orphanhood is a big deal in God, and I'll tell you about it as we move on. But some of you all, you want God to do for you what you wouldn't do for anyone else. You want God to rescue you in the 11th hour, and you didn't. People got put out, stuff laid on the thing. They had to go back and get a job that paid them no money, like Nehemiah. Nehemiah set up all of the things that God needed for the restoration, and then he goes back to his job, comes back again. Everything he did is undone, and all the priests and Levites are working in other fields. They're not covered. They can't cover the people because, well, they can't afford to. But I'm telling you, promise, because we, we do a whole thing on covenant breakers. Man, I said to God, when I hear some of these people, I'm like, I need to write you because you wrote, you made a covenant with me and you broke it. No sound, no anything. Some of you all don't even have etiquette. The etiquette of saying, you know what? I got ahead of myself. Or, as Psalm 15 said, I'm swearing to my hurt. See, what is a heart reset? It's a return to what builds and keeps kingdoms, which is ethical institutions. 
and integral people, integral officials. We bought so much into Satan's rhetoric and that quick cash that you can't even go back and say, God, wow, I messed up. And, and so, because I hear people talk all the time. One of the things that you will know when God is disturbed with, a, with the masses, he stops talking to them. That's why you all are bored with those sermons, because he stopped talking, because they did not handle well what he did give them. That panic, I just got to keep seeing the numbers build up in my, in my bank account. And I'm using, I, I say that to you today, but you need to appreciate the fact that some of the things that you're fighting with about God, you know, because we used to sing that song that said the failure is not in God, it's in me. And we've been taught because of this humanism and because of this, this carnality and also because of the new age Buddhistic liberty, you've been talked out of owning up to your stuff. So you don't even own up to it. And when you own up to it, by the time you do own up to it, you lay it up in the hospital fighting machines to stay alive. Why? Because God, you said, and then we quoted, oh, you said you never leave me nor forsake me. He mean, and you know what God said like you did me? Because you sure left me, and you certainly forsook me. And so as we move forward in this hard reset, in order to get, you're going to have to do more than regret. You're going to have to repent. And you're going to have to not apologize. You're going to have to repent and make reparations. Some of you all don't even want to make reparations. I mean, not one. No, you don't. I said that, you know, I go out and we, and I'm not the only one, but many, some of them, that you know where the power is. You know where the anointing is. And you don't want to bankroll the power and the anointing of God. The question should be why. Why do you want to bankroll impotency? Why do you want to bankroll where God isn't? But it looks good. So you rather, literally, would rather bankroll glamour and glitz and vanity than to bankroll the power of the Almighty God to make change and to make things happen. See, those are difficult questions. This is what we would call a situation assessment. We need situation rooms where we actually address situations and not just prophesy to each other or criticize. Sitting in the room fighting and all those kind of backroom issues, well, this didn't happen, that didn't happen. Are you kidding? Somebody's got to bite the bullet, suck it up and say, hey, let's, lay, uh, let's return to the old landmarks and repair the breaches that are there. We have to do it. Or this mess of blame shifting and, and excusing and criticizing and vilifying the Almighty will not stop. And see, the issue with God is, you know, God's like, I live forever. I love it when he says, I mean, oh, no, I live forever. And, and what dot, 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 do you know what dot, dot, dot is? You don't. I'm almighty. Dot, 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 you're not. I'm the ancient of days. Dot, 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 your days are few. See, if you are that person that holds the all cards but then controls the ultimate card, and that's life and death, you fear nothing. You own it all. And at any point, you can play that card with anyone. 
Death works for works for Jesus Christ. It's always been on his payroll, and until death is no more, it's on his payroll. Death works for Jesus. Death has a whole network. He's got death is so well equipped to take us out. It's not funny. Death has aging number one, sickness and disease number two, mental blindness to cause us to have accidents. Number three, he's got all kinds of corruption and debilitation because death rules mortality. And, it, and so when I said to somebody, we were talking about people who play with their health. And they said, oh, God will keep it. And I'm like, but God hired death. And death can say to the Almighty, yeah, but see, they keep breaching your laws and you're not, you're not doing it. See, because Satan talked to God about Job. And so you'll get them, I'm not taking my medication any longer. I'm not going to the doctors any longer. I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to fast and believe God. And sometimes those fasts expedite the process because you're malnourished. Because you don't believe God's kingdom is real. The reason that God raised us up, and I know raised me up as an apostle, is because I took him at his word. He's real, his kingdom's real, and all of those agents, God has accountability to them because he made himself accountable to it. I make myself accountable to my leaders. I don't let them go out there, tell them they got all of this here power, and then overdo or, or countermand everything they say. I, I work with them. Now, we have a team. It's an ultimate thing. I always say I got a nice, friendly dictatorship going on here. I'm a friend. We are friends, but they are too. We, we do not, a great leader will not make the people that serve them so frustrated, so weary, and so fatigued that, that all they do is show up every day dragging in and dragging out. Because you will not get a harvest. I don't care about what the word of God says on, the, on your harvest. The word of God always t- also tells you, don't discourage your sons and daughters. Don't offend them. See, there are a lot of things that we can clean up before we get to the deep, deep things in the soul. When people are in my organization and they despise my leadership, I never trust them. You know why? Because I know that they're only they're, they're doing all that they're doing to bump out what I worked hard to put in place. See, I'm not going to let you bump that out. So I defend my leaders. You know, some of you all, you don't. You've got that one yak yak in your ear, always telling this, and the other yak yak over here. I'm like, no, go through the process they went through. Then we'll talk. Because if to not go through it, is to say you disagree with the process. So if you disagree with it in my leaders, clearly you're going to do disagree with it in yourself, which means you won't finish and you'll want me to drop the bar and cut the program for your convenience. That's some coffee. So we have, I'm saying all of these things contribute into your conflict with Christ because a saved person being an orphan has a real conflict with Jesus Christ. And that conflict is kind of like you want to muscle in on God like you got his muscles. And he said, I'm the Lord. I change not. God can't change for the same reasons I keep my systems in place on and on and on. Because to, uh, the toppling effect, the domino effect of God changing 
what's eternal. Now, he will, God will roll with you on that temporal all day long. He, you, oh, you got something good. Because in God's mind, the temporal is just the, the pathway to getting to what he wants done for eternity. So that's why it's temporal. Temporal is tied to time. So temporal means time-bound or within the time scheme. So there are, you know, when it's times and seasons. He put those in here for a reason. So the temporal belongs to times and seasons. But there are things about God, mm-mm, if he changes them, he abdicates because there's only two options, him and his enemy. So God cannot change. I cannot change. I am the Lord. I change. Now, I cannot change. I cannot lie. Because that is to create an a, a, a entire deteriorating process in that area. And that deteriorating process will be like cancer to me. And it, because it'll, it'll run through my system. It'll run through my body. It'll run through my creation. So, God, i got to hold it together. That's why it says of Jesus in Hebrews 11, hallelujah, that he upholds all things with the power of his word. He up, and by the word of God, he created the world. So, God, we're looking at this little planet thinking, whoa, this is it. Or we look at our little empty solar system and say, whoa, that's, that's all he has. No, it is God cannot lie. I don't care what a devil tells you. And the reason he's down here telling you is because he's not up there backing him. So I don't care what a devil tells you. God cannot lie. He can't. It, it, and right now, by now, man been around so long, where, where would he find a lie facility? He don't have a utility in himself for lying. Because he has to have evil, and he is, God didn't create evil. So he cannot do what his, his enemy does and stay sovereign almighty. He can't do that and stay holy and stay pure. Anybody hear me out there? Yeah. See, the thing that you all need to understand is that you're buying earthly wisdom. And the wisdom, according to James, from this earth is earthly, it's sensual, and it's demonic. And you don't even know it. I mean, I don't want to take Bible lessons. I don't want to go to school. I don't need to go to school to learn the Bible. I could just read it. Nobody said that you couldn't read. What we said is you couldn't do much with what you read. You can't defend it. And so we go on and we go on and we go on into this whole process. But you need to understand your orphanhood has a whole lot of reasons, a whole lot. Now, wasn't that fun? So you're going to get that, that uh, archive of the week, the audio archive of the week. And we got the finishing up of envy because you understand that this whole world, witchcraft, it always needs envy. I'm going to tell you right now, you want to know where a witch is? Look at envy because they need that internal buying because they're buying for that which is not theirs by creation, by creator. By righteousness, by right. So they're always doing it. So we have to talk about that because a lot of times you don't know when you're envious. You have no idea what envy feels like, looks like. For, and I often give this example. We, we talk, constantly use envy and jealousy interchangeably, but they're not interchangeable. Envy is what you want from someone else that you don't have a right to. Jealousy is defensiveness for what is yours. There's someone with, who does not have a right to it, 
is vying to take from you. So to be, when God says, I'm jealous for you, he's not envious. We don't have anything that's all that great. You know, they're not appealing to us. Jesus said, I want to be like that. He became like us, not because he envied us. He became like us to redeem us. Now, the angels that did not keep their first estate, they envied. The uh, Genesis 6, that was envy. Isn't that good? See, that's envy because those angels looked down there at Adam and they had all these pretty women and they were having all of this fun with these pretty women and they were, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff. And they looked down there and they said, huh, we want that. But they couldn't get God to create them like that or recreate them like that. And so they had to come, and their envy drove them to become eternal criminals, lawbreakers. They breached the laws of God's creation, and they came down, and they reproduced themselves by possessing men who would, who were already had wives or women, possessing them, and through their possessing, reproduced themselves spiritually in their women. Because they couldn't, they couldn't get offspring any other way. How else were they going to get it? So when you they, see these are wisdoms that you need because see uh, you you go you know we we all remember Rosemary Baby and now it's a big thing to have Satan's kid. Are you kidding me? Even he can't make that many kids. He got to give all those angels that came with him somebody to have some children. He just because he's not omniscient, he's not omnipresent, he's not omnipotent and never was. But you don't know that. So it was envy that started this. In the garden, Satan talked them into envy, and it was envy that made. Eve, see that tree differently. Oh, I'll be like, God? Well, that's good. I want to do that. Now, here's, well, I won't even get into that. I'm going to leave you all right with that. But I need you to recognize there is a difference between envy and jealousy. Jealousy is possessive. Envy is desirous. It's ambitious desire. And it wants what is not is not even theirs to have. So when you see women walking around envious, I'm envious because you, you got longer hair, and I'm envious because of that. Wanting to look better is one thing. Wanting someone to look bad by what you do, that's envy. You want somebody to feel bad. Envy always wants you to feel bad. Envy needs you to feel inferior because envy cannot work on equal superiority. Are we going to get this archive of the week? Yes, 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 yes. Amen. But we got something new. We have something new. And you know what we have? You probably can't see it. It's unfortunate that you can't see all of these wonderful graphics that I have. But I work them for when I do on-site presentations, too. So if you look at this, there is the clouds moving. There is a cup, a communion cup. And crosses, oh, Lord, um, can you make it a little bigger? And crosses coming out of it. Prayer cup. Because the Bible said our prayers ascend from incense. And it's like incense. So it's a, you capture it. So it's a prayer cup. Now, you see all of that digital stuff that's going on there? That's an intercessor. 
And so the intercessor is praying, and as the intercessor is praying, salvation and answers, etc., rising up out of his cup. And so I did all of that to demonstrate for you something new that we have that we're doing called the Paul of Price Soul of Success Prayer Advisement. I have prayer advisors. Prayer advisors are different from intercessors. Intercessors will stand there, take your subject, pray for it, and push forward. That's part of it. But the advisement part is watching out for it, overseeing it. You see as prophets and prophetic people who do it. And I have a, a, a whole uh, staff to do that. And why do you need that? When you need a prayer partner, some of you all need a prayer partner, and you need one that's not going to have to lock you down in the prayer group, or sometimes you need one with higher authority. Jesus said, when a stronger man comes. So I know we said we're all equal in Jesus Christ, but we're not living equal. If we were all equal in Jesus Christ, we'd all be in the mansions in the sky, not needing prayer. See, theology does not care about reality. And that's what, that's what divine revelation does. See, revelation is always about reality. So we have prayer advisors, and you can go. Um, uh, Apostle Ashley is going to tell you where we go. But we have them, and you, you go in a book and say, I need prayer. Just like we have prophetic advisements, we have prayer advisements. People who just pray. They don't, they're not trying to coach you. They're not trying to do anything like that. They are just, just. That I have, you know, and our prophets do it. But we do have dedicated people whose job it is to pray you through. And when they do, it works. We're going to have some of their, uh, I'm going to have them uh, give us some of their uh, testimonies. So, because they work. And I mean, so your, your family falling apart, especially if you're a leader and you can't talk to anybody, you know very well if you go to the church intercessors, you might as well have put it in the bulletin. Because it's going to be everywhere. So you need privacy. You need confidentiality. You need somebody who's holy. Because no matter what anybody says to you, God moves by his spirit, but his potency is in holiness. You need somebody who knows the word, who's trained and educated to discern spirits. You know, we all people think, well, we all got discerning of spirits. That is just the wrongest teaching I've ever seen in my life. And Are you kidding me? Because just because you see a spirit doesn't mean you discern it. So we need to know the difference between observation and discernment. Because by the time you can observe it, it's already in action. So you need job, family, children, sickness, healing, etc. The advisement piece is stepping in as an advocate and understanding what you are facing, using that prophetic acumen, that prophetic or, or that prophet spirit to know. Yeah, I know that they say that's what this is, but that's not the spirit you're facing. That's not what's going on. These people are trained. They put in years of training, years, and, and, and it's biblical. See, because you can go and get prayer from the Buddha people or the Buddha Christians. How do they already say Chris Bush? I don't even know. It doesn't, doesn't even fit. There's no, there's no harmony in it, not even in the sound. You can get that. You can get New Age prayers. You can go to call the psychic. You can do all of that. But there are times you need more than a quick prophecy. And, there, and good prayer will give you answers. And you will, trust me, we have people, some of you all who are online who have had our prayer advisements, do me a favor and put your testimonies online so other people can see it. So how does it happen? 
Apostle Ashley. For prayer advisory? Yes. Right now, our website is being revamped for our whole new Paul Price Success Center. And so if you are wanting to pursue exactly what Dr. Price just talked about, go to ppmglobalresources.com, which they can get there from your website, mm-hmm. www.drpaulaaprice.com. You can actually click, I want to Take an assessment, advisement, they'll all take you to this site. <laughs> what they can do right now is go to the More tab and contact us. Uh-huh. And in that message and subject, put, you want, I want prayer. And in the, the message, put the details. Our friend talks about this on our show. I want what she talks about, that prayer advice. Mm-hmm. And our staff will reach out to them to set them uh, on the next level, which is receiving the schedule of our prayer advisors mm-hmm. and setting that up. And you will, you will love it. I'm telling you, there are times that you need prayer, and we can do it over the Internet. You can get it in your thing, but there are some matters you don't even want your friends to know you're getting prayer for. You don't want that. You want to, we have an innocent person, a person who literally has no vested interest in telling your business. We got, we have confidentiality agreements. We have terms of service agreements. So this is your personal prayer person. This is yours. This is the step between intercession, prayer, intercession, and coaching and counseling. It's that middle ground. I just need it. You're sitting in the doctor's office, and you, you just got a, 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 a discerning, a, 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 what I could say, a disturbing report. You, right, you can pray. Okay, so what do I do with this? And then you need someone with eyes to see. I find that our seers do best with this. So, Again, go to my website, drpaulaaprice.com, and hit, let's just say something. They'll tell you, prayer advisement, contact, contact us. us. That's what she said. See how well I listen? <laughs> contact us and schedule it. Now, listen, there are not a lot of these. So if you really want this first come, first serve, and if you don't want to have to wait two, three months while we finish the training of the next group, then you probably need to hop on it relatively quickly. All right. I, did I do it all? I think I did it all. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> These are your soul of success clinics. Um, remember, we're still having that. Now, I like these soul of success clinics because what they do is help you get your hand, head and hands around your own soul. You know, you need to understand what's going on in the immaterial side of you. We just did a second one because we now have Let's Talk Soul Sunday once a month. We just did a second one, and I'm telling you, it's, it's meaty. It's meaty. Whether that one's going to be on the market or not, we're still having meetings about it. We're not sure because it's very dense and it's very intense. So did you want to say something? And that's why I'm not sure I want to put it on the market because it's probably going to do better in our university as part of the curriculum. So, but anyhow, we still have the first one. And I, you tell me that there's something else there that's up there with it. Did you, are we packaging something else or is it just last, this, month. last month? Okay. So, and this, hmm? the heart clean. Okay, the, the will's power, the soul's content, your soul will, and its heartache. You have no idea how, I'm going to say, how dominating your heartaches are. Not just influential, dominating. Your heartaches dominate everything. That's why this whole dating culture guarantees you, you are always emotionally 
and psychologically disturbed and ultimately debilitating. You know, it cracks me up that they say, just keep trying until you get the right one. To whose advantage is that? If you can't get the right one after three or four, you're probably not good at it. And, and, and if you get enough people in your soul, you will not recognize the right one. And they all mix, and ultimately you'll marry out of panic. You'll you'll have a business relationship out of panic. You'll take a friend in your house out of panic because you don't. You have too much in your soul and no filters. Your soul needs filters. We put filters on computers. We put encryption codes and all of those kinds of things. But we don't think we need to do it with the most volatile and valuable part of our human makeup on earth. You have no soul filters. That's why you go, how do you filter your soul? How do you filter what your soul likes by your hair, your beard, how it's shaved, your man cologne, your female perfume, your body parts? You literally, what's good or right and wrong with all the things that pass away, all of the things that can be gone in an instant. Your soul has very frail, very feeble filters. You, In order for you to succeed in life, you've got to go deeper than the haircut. And, I mean, you look at people, well, why are you, why are you having sex with this guy? Because he's cute? Is that the dumbest thing you ever heard? He's cute. You don't know if he's clean. You don't know if he takes baths. You don't know if he got disease. You don't know if he just got finished with somebody else, front or back. And you said, but he's cute. That's a lousy soul filter. And you and that same filter, you think it stays within the domain of the romantic, but it doesn't. That filter, because it's errant and because it's criminal, it keeps replicating itself in other areas of your life. And so a visual appeal becomes your standard for accepting anything. Yeah, you want this clinic because it's going to help you. Having your way out, having your way and the cost. People cannot get healed until they understand or they put a value to their captivity. Again, go to my website, drpaulaprice.com, and get, I want this Soul of Success art clinic. Because your heart is the, the, the uh, single stream of all your emotions. Your heart is the pumper. It doesn't just pump blood. It pumps all that has affected that blood, all that caused that blood to be what it is. Ooh, isn't this good? And then, hey, watch. Look out, because we're, I'm going to have a one-month broadcast on inclusionism, and I'm doing it for our folk, because, you know, our folk not big in Bible, so people can change things any old kind of way. Christians, we don't do big in Bible. Hallelujah. And then... Toward the, um, on the other side of July, I am going to do an extensive series on yoga. I'm going to do it. You know, yoga is a marketing activity. It is not, that's what America says. America says as long as we market it, we do it. But it, uh, marketing requires some peculiar uh, capabilities or some peculiar attributes. You must be gullible. If you're not in need, you're in gullible. It's a mania. 
Anytime something's a mania, you need to look for the devil. There has to be a spirit. Somebody is working that bewitching spirit on you so you can't see anything but that. It relies on inferiority. You know, secure people will not make a nation rich if the, if, if, if the approach is 100% fraud and deception. So you have to recognize you're not doing yoga because it makes you feel better, because the devil is making you feel better. You're doing yoga because you're, in, you're insecure about who you are, and it's, yoga is 100% a physical activity. That's why we got yoga pants. You get to walk around and look at women with no underwear on in these tight pants so that you feel bad. That's envy. See, envy is in yoga. Because I've got to make you want to look at my, my tight butt. I've got to make you want to do all of that. Because if it was not about that, your exercise wear would be in your locker or in your gym bag and not on your butt. The fact that you have to wear your exercise wear for style tells me envy. And it's, it's always about humiliating people, making people who don't have what you have feel insecure, feel uh, inadequate and unacceptable. So we're going to talk about it, and I'm going in. See, I've, I've got a team who's pulling in all this data. So we're not going, I'm not coming after this. Uh, well, I just don't think it's, I, I mean, come, after all, I just think about Jesus. All of you all who say that, shame on you, because you need to ask Jesus what he thinks about what you're doing and where you're putting him. Just because you think about Jesus doesn't mean he thinks what you're doing in his name is approved. The Bible said those who name the name of the Lord and let them depart from iniquity. And yoga, as, an, as a practice for Christians, is, an, is as iniquitous as you can be. Look up iniquity. It's fraud. First of all, it's B.C. It's them saying ancient devils that Jesus destroyed on the cross. You ought to be, right now, you ought to be repentant because you are dis- trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God. And you're doing it. So when they tell me that, you know what I say, say it to me, please do. Because I want to have an answer. And what does he think about it? Because the more you stay in yoga, the less Jesus you can tolerate. The longer you do it, the less you like him. The less you want to go to church. The less you want to be around Christians within that. Okay? The less you want to read your Bible. Yoga is meant to be the sword of division that separates you from the true and living God and his son Jesus Christ and all of the polytheistic religions and deities of the world. And second, lastly, how in the world could you jump on a craze that hates your God. See, Buddha, Hinduism, they universalize everything because there's only one Satan. He just got a lot of demons that left with him. Jesus, there's only one Jesus, only one Holy Ghost. That's why Paul makes that big statement in Ephesians 4, 1, 1, 1, and 1, so that you don't have to figure out what deity is running through your soul, what deity is making you do this, what deity is pulling for you. That is what all of, that's what that soul fracture is going to come. Yoga can't do anything but give you soul fracture. Because you have too many demonic and deific personalities vying for top place. In your everyday. 
So you can't talk about this is Jesus, not when yoga is based on polytheism. Um, see, um, so you know I'm going to tell you this thing up. Yes, I am, as surely as Jesus is Lord. Because, honey, I've been empowered. I'm like Micah. I have been empowered by the Spirit of the Lord to tell God's people their transgressions and Israel their sins. Yes, or ecclesial in this case. I'm having fun. Are you all enjoying this? Are they enjoying it? See, I I did my own infomercial. You see how this is working out? Pastor Ashley's going to be thrilled. She's like, oh, finally got it. Lastly, now we're going to move into our teach, talk, touch, and guess what? Do you remember me telling you? I am thrilled, 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 thrilled. This is our, you know, our mock-up copy, but we got one. And I told you I was going to have write poems, poetry, and psalms, devotions of a saint. God, hey guys, they're here. God finally gave me the grace to release it. It's here, and I told you we would have it by Resurrection Sunday this year, and it's out. You want to go online and get your copy. Put in an order. Put in Devotions of a Saint, a short book of poetry. Dr. Paula A. Price, hallelujah, best-selling author of the Prophet's Dictionary. Can you believe I wrote the Prophet's Dictionary, and I can be academic, hallelujah, theologic, Hallelujah and poetic. I have found that prophets and prophetic people are poetic by nature. And so I wrote this book. There are, listen to this, there are 64, I think it's 64 pages, and about 40 psalms, theoretically, and some of them you'll like. I mean, you'll like it all. Because you know me, there's still going to be the development aspect, there's still going to be the prophetic, there's going to be the didactic, you know, we're going to get all of that, but in a sweet way. So, there is the secrets of his heart, eternal flames, my personal favorite, hallowed be Christ the Lamb, manna of life, hey, tarry here for a while. When you found Jesus. Now, when you found Jesus is on page 22, and it's for you people who are getting saved, think you're saved, Wonder why salvation isn't doing more for your life. It's great one, all right? Heaven's work in my soul, the incense of praise, devotions, and intimacy. Our faithful high priest. Also, going home and the cleansing, uh, twins, or healing flow, peering into my Savior's eyes, visions of the Holy Land. His majesty is waiting, the weight, Shekinah splendor, and then... um, God remained God, though he became a man, God a delight to taste. And lastly, the marriage covenant. You all are going to want this. And it's, look at this. Finn, can you imagine I wrote something like this? I know, right? It was before I was really, you know. But in that nice, nice thin book, you can, it's, it, I know it's an easy read, but I also know that you're going to want to order a lot of copies because you're going to write it up because God's going to talk to you. And he's going to tell you how these Poems and psalms fit you. But I'm going to re- Would you like me to read? The audience says yes. Do they, any of you all want me to read? Yeah, you know, they do. All right, because you know. Let me see. I want to do, hold on. 
I want to do that. Tarry, I'm going to read Tarry here for a while, and then I'm going to read Cleanse or Healing Flow because it fits the reset. All right. Tarry here with me a while, said my Savior, sweetly with that gentle smile. With eyes warm and shining bright, he beckons me to drop all and come aside. The errands will wait and the work will go on, but precious moments in Jesus' love should not be denied. The quiet is so still one instinctively knows how to permit the Savior's love to sweeten the longing soul. So many treasures beckon those approaching heaven's gate. It's a wonder what makes us so often put God on hold and have him wait. It is only when life's piles have stolen our smiles that we feel the need to tarry with the Savior a while. Why aren't his delightful fellowship and communion from Christ's refreshing fountain of love enough to make us drop everything and rush into the arms of the Redeemer we love and trust? But when his love is deeply burned within, one thing is for sure, when he beckons us to tarry with him, we'll quickly come because we simply cannot postpone his love and passion anymore. I like that one. This is the one for healing the body. Heal the body, O head of the flock. Cleanse your church with the flow that never stops. Open up blind eyes, unstop deaf ears. Wipe away, dear Lord, every hurt and tear. Bind up the brokenhearted. Heal the souls life has bruised. Tenderly console, excuse me, tenderly console and renew the battered and abused. Flow, oh flow, that precious, priceless stream, pour out from your living rivers, tarnish souls to clean. Oh cleansing flow, wash us, cleanse us, heal us, and fill us with the vessels God Almighty has sealed. Make us sparkling beams of light in this world, your spirit indwelling in us, leading through the darkness, preserving our souls from hell. Equip us by your word to carry out your plan, to bring the saving grace of Jesus Christ to every human. Then move us to your holy mountain, filled with your hallowed might. Sanctify us wholly by your word of truth, that we, as your army, may win this worldly fight. Scrub away every blemish, smooth out what flesh has marred. Breathe on us, faithful creator, the love that removes our soul's scars. Fill us to partake of heaven's hallowed nest, and when our work in earth is through, swiftly bring us, dear Lord, home to your eternal rest. Tell me what you think. <laughs> and you can, you know, I, I really, I really love them. And I wanted to just, you know, there's one dying truth. And then we have our faithful high priest. You want to understand that. But there's one for those who are bound, souls bound in addiction. And it's called, it's really if you're bound and you're trying to get free, you want to change your life, you want to do all of that. Page 37 I hope, that, and I want you to enjoy this. This one is called 
going home. Enter, you holy ones, into the glorious joy of our Lord. Now, there's scripture. If you, right here, everything has scripture, so you can go right to your Bible while God is still moving. And so this one is called going home. I'm leaving hell with its terrors and death, for I heard my Savior say, this is your day to ascend from sin's fiery prison and its death. Long enough I have wallowed in the murky waters of mortality, heeding spiteful voices every day, yielding to soul sickness and vile hostility, fighting to be free from the throes of horror and agony, knowing that certainly a God of love and power must have something better for me. Ready to live free, I made up my mind to latch on to hope and free hell's futility and grind. I must take a stand, free me from what my soul can no longer endure. I simply cannot let myself stay bound, continue living a dead life. That's for sure. I must choose right and forsake all wrong if I am to once and for all, all leave doom's pit. Decision made, heart resolved, I hear a small voice call my name. It tells me to obey, do what he says, and by his side I will eternally sit. God's voice told me to just turn right and follow the way his suffering paved. Take the first step, stay on the godly path, and soon I'd know I was saved. No, don't look back. Don't turn my head. Don't even consider what's now dead. Fix my mind on the land's cleansing flow. Focus on the wounds Jesus took in my stead. If I hesitate one bit, I might forfeit God's most precious gift, fall backward, and stumble once again into hell's pit. I hear him calling me. My heart follows his words. Oh, what a beautiful sound. Arising ever so slowly, I'm getting closer to it. Ascending from hell, I'm no longer left. Lost, I am found. There, I made it. The shackles are loosed. The noose is gone. Freely free from hell's dark gloom. There he is, the Savior, whose voice called out to me, called me out of hopelessness and the mire of Satan's doom. So, this could be a Resurrection Sunday gift, a Mother's Day gift, whatever, but it's what I've done. My first word, don't know what's going to happen after that, but I do know that it's time for us to do, to, to begin to feel God. The one thing that the reset will do is extend our long spiritual trainings and revelations and discussions on the spirit into the soul realm where we are the ones who have to make the decision where we're going to spend eternity. So what is the, are they responding to our? Amen. I'm glad. Well, you know, we started out just really mentioning and talking about the orphan spirit. And I, um, I want to talk to you about that a little bit more. I'm probably, because I think the last time 
we did it. It was two years ago. But, you know, the part of the problem, the failure of the church, the fragmentation of the church, the fragmentation of the world, all began with orphanhood, separating yourself from this world, separating yourself from the things that make life work, separating yourself from what all, and I'm pulling up this passage, but separating yourself from everything that keeps a society sound and strong. And that, and that orphanhood began with the shattering of the family as Christ created it, the family unit that has kept us and, and, and guarded us and covered us all these years and all this decade. I remember when we started talking about, you know, talking about the family, uh, we need to change it or the family's too rigid. Look at the commercial. These, this is such a real thing. I like this. You know, I, I do. Hallelujah. I, I like this. But look at the commercial. Now, all of the commercials are making fun of the strong uh, family. What do they call it? The um, God bring the word. He'll bring it in a minute. But the nuclear family. Yeah. They, they, they're mocking it. In the nuclear family, people are clean. Faces are shining. Now, they, now they put it under gray light or they got the, set, you know, the sepia or whatever, and they put it under that people are clean and they're sitting at the table. They're, you know, praying. And, and so that's the mockery. So, so, so the message is you don't want that. You don't want order. You don't want control. You don't want anything. And then under the modern family, the redesigned family, people hair all over the place, folks, are, whatever, kids are screaming all out of control. The dinner table is like mayhem, and everybody's happy. We've got whoever this um, ad agency is, it's pushing the agenda. You don't want structure. You don't want control. You don't want management. You don't want peace. You don't want a peaceful environment. You want chaos. A little bit of chaos is cute. It can be comforting. Because the whole idea is to take the pressure off of you to be a better version of yourself. Let it, cause, so this has all been about bar dropping. We're dropping the bar. We're dropping the bar to now. We're just ignoring it. And we're ignoring the bar because when they took that off, then they made the way for them to redesign the families we have today. So you've got homosexual families. You've got same-sex marriages and all of those kinds of things. And that, that one commercial told us that this was the ultimate place. Now, should we have should, should, uh, should we have should we have had Jim Crow during those days? No. No, we shouldn't have. But we did. And and we did for a lot of reasons. One day we'll, I'll have a talk with you all about that. Should we have had just, you know, a, a, a totally uh, Caucasian nation? No. Mm-mm. Because let's be real. The world is full of all kinds of folks. And if we are going to be a melting pot, then we need to not call our melting pot a pot of clear broth and white potatoes. We need some tomatoes. We need some green peppers in there. We need some, some beef in there or some sort of meat in there. That's a melting pot. And so we said we had a melting pot, but we wanted the, part, the, the melting pot ingredients to be beneath the skin. And we needed the pot to have a little bit of brown bread. Pumpernickel is not, not a bad bread. You know, we could do that. So we needed to change some things, yes. But we did not need to, what we needed to change were the ingredients and not the substance. 
not the essence. And what we did was what they did is started saying, well, you don't have to do that. I mean, how do we get from people dressing neatly to folks wearing raggedy jeans? Because that whole institution demolition program, and, and this thing has been in effect since the 50s, if not early. I'm sure it's earlier, but that's when I became aware of it. But this whole demo, um, institutional demolition, let's destroy, demolish every institution. Let's demolish marriage. Let's demolish uh, family. Let's demolish education. Let's demolish everything. This is an institutional demolition derby. And we are the losers for it. Because this is about demolishing institution. If you don't believe me, go back and look at the early days of rhetoric. A lot of what we're living today is, with, uh, is what these people who are engineering it and orchestrating it discussed and planned in college. They were 20-something years old when they decided that they were going to be a part of a future that destroyed the United States of America. It was, made, it was done back then. And they have been slowly inseminating it. And as they, as they grew older, they passed this torch on to their children because they have a deal. Now, what I don't know is what deal was cut that decided we could not be a healthier America. I, I don't know. I really don't. One day, maybe I'll find that information. I don't know. Some of you may know. I've got politicians and whatnot watching and, and educators. But I want you to recognize that the whole thing began by making the majority of the citizens of this land orphans, spiritual orphans, family orphans, relational orphans, because once you take a kid from his parent, you can do anything you want with that kid. And if you happen to discredit the parent so that the kid wants to be apart from them, all the better because you have not only separated that child, but you've also gained an ally. This kid is going to fight hard to never go back home again because you painted such an ugly picture. Are you following me with this? See, the ugly picture, we've got a whole educational program that trained our children to hate their parents to distrust their parents, to despise being developed, nurtured, reared, and protected because we need them vulnerable. We have the whole kind of, a part of it was, okay, we need the co-ed college. Why do we need a co-ed college? And now they're brothels. We started out as co-education. That's how we're sold, co-education or co-ed college to prove that we were not unsophisticated like the other nations. See, because you think this stuff is brewing out of America. It isn't. It's coming from other nations. And you need to trace these trends that you're jumping on board with. And that because America was once that powerful nation of the world, and its power was its righteousness. Its power was Jesus Christ. And I want to show you this. Let me, let me get... Mm. I'm going here, and I appreciate this little gadget. I just wish I could get it to talk right to me. John 14, 8, and then I want you to go to Deuteronomy 4. I believe it's Deuteronomy 4. I'm going to show you how serious this was. Deuteronomy 14, 8. This is a powerful, powerful statement when you go through it. 
I'm going, I'm going to start reading from the 16th verse. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another. Let me get a nicer translation quicker. I'm sorry, John. John, I'm going to start at 14, 15, because it leads us in well. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Now, listen, that's a premise. That's a premise statement. That's foundational. That is a principle. That is a, a prototypical rule. If you love me, you will keep my commands. And, if, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter or counselor to be with you forever, which means when we go into God's world, we don't separate from the Holy Ghost. We go wherever, where the Holy Ghost is holding everything. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Now, Paul says later on, what man knows the things of a man except the spirit that is in them. So the Holy Spirit in us is how we know Jesus. The Holy Spirit in us is how we know God, how we understand his commandments and motivates us to Obey him because he's the spirit of truth and love. People talking about God is love. Well, that, you talking about God is love on the outside. The love of God, that agape love, got to be on the inside because it will clean up your external love. And he said, now, John 14, 18, I will not leave you as, as orphans. I am coming to you. How is he coming? In the person of the Holy Spirit. God said, I will walk in them. I will talk in them. They will be my people. I will be their God. So Jesus is like, I'm leaving to get out of this flesh so that I, come, I can come back as my pervasive self. See, right now, you're dealing with my personal self, incarnate, Christ incarnate. But when I leave and come back, you're going to deal with my pervasive self. And my ability to enter human beings, which means I'm going to be cellular, I'm going to be granular, I'm going to be biologic, I'm going to be anatomic in you. And he says, in a little while, the world will see me no longer, but you will see me because I live, you will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I'm in you. And then he goes on and says, because see, a lot of Christians don't read this to you, but this is logical. This is the logic of the Godhead. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. So all y'all little, y'all, see, you hear me? All y'all little homosexuals, y'all little fornicators, you know, do you not found a word called fornicator, fornicationary? In other words, fornicatory, where they make objects for you to fornicate. There's a whole empire. You know those little toy dolls and those little, well, they, are, they literally are titled as instruments of fornication. And this guy who came up with it goes all the way back to the 18th century. He said, so, you, you, you know, the drinkers, and we don't even want to talk about the tatters, tattoos. You cannot love God and not know or not keep his command to not mar your temple. You can't do it. So when we look at you, you can say all you want, but what we know is that you're loving the wrong Jesus. You're loving a false Christ. He said, and the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will also love him and will reveal myself to him. Now, God gives you the conditions under which he's going to be loved in your life. 
Now, I want to go to another one. And that's interesting, because you have to know how he thinks. The reason is that half of you all are not even trying to give God a hard time. You just don't know how he thinks. Let's see if we can get this to show up. Ah, my favorite. One of my favorites. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4, which I told you. I want to start at um, Moses. Is, he's, he's, he's kind of orientating the people to God's mind and his way of life. He's just giving them the Ten Commandments. He said, look, I have taught you statutes and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to possess. This is God birthing a new nation in its own land. Or, or literally transporting Israel into their land. Now listen to this, verse 6. Carefully follow them, for this will show your wisdom and understanding in the eyes of the people. King James says, in the eyes of the nation. When they hear about all these statutes, they will say, great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. America rose to the top because they, they follow the age-long principles of God Almighty. The Deuteronomy, and it says, when the nations heard about it, that's why he told us to disciple the nations. He sent us in Matthew to disciple the nations, and once this, the, the, the uh, attack on the church took hold, the nations began to disciple us. You see? So they're discipling us. So he said, but God says this is a great nation. This great nation is indeed a wise and understanding people. For what nation is there that has a God near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call to him? And what great nation has statutes and ordinances like this entire law I set before you today? The Bible says the law of the Lord is pure and, and really converting the soul. So God converted. He converted the, the nations one by one to his son, Jesus Christ, whom he had promised and delivered the heathen, Psalm 2, the nations as his inheritance. So I know that they tell you all of that stuff, but see, what the problem is our educators and Christians did not know how to deal with it. Like, for example, a lot of them got taken out because all of these nations have a creation story. Well, everybody got a beginning. Everybody has an origin. But what origin leads to life? What origin led to liberty? Liberty came from Jesus Christ because liberty is in Christ. And as, as these, especially these Western nations that, you know, we're all excited. We don't even want to talk about the wickedness of the, the ministers and the preachers that also jaded them to the point that they said, we might as well take care of ourselves. You aren't doing anything for us. You're, you're cheating. You're lying. You're doing the very things that you tell us we can't do. And you're profiting from us on it because you're making us buy into and buy your perversions. So we have a lot of work to deal with because God always starts, a reset always starts with training the resetters. So we have to start going back. That's why you don't expect purity, purity from your preachers. You don't expect purity from your pastors or your leaders. You expect the prophets to be, you know, fraudulent. 
and pilfering? You expect the apostles to be malignant because you nobody you, you don't know. And most of you all have come all the way so far down the line. Half of you probably didn't know this was in Scripture. <laughs> but our nation, this nation, was every nation because God walked through all of those all of those European nations. He walked through all of them. They all had a moment. If you read the theologies and you read the commentaries, they all had a moment where they had their day in the sun. And and I mean S O N. They had their day in the sun, and then decided that holiness and righteousness, etc., were boring or indebted. They didn't want to be indebted to Jesus. They wanted to be indebted to themselves. So God did, and I'll say most of them, you know, how did we get, you know, the Rome being the capital of the Catholic Church? God went through all of these nations, and America has come down to being the last holdout. And so the battle to get you to turn on Jesus Christ, to hate his word, the battle to get you to disseminate his church, uh, or I should say disassemble his church, uh, that's a real battle. I hear somebody out there, so I think somebody's almost ready to come in. Is that right? Okay, well, that prophet will come soon. Are you ready? Oh, okay. Okay. But the battle is because once America's gone, the way of all the other nations who have kicked out Jesus Christ and kicked out the Holy Ghost, that the darkness falls. They are... I mean, we're in Tulsa now where they are fighting. They're, I mean, the, the mandate now is to take over all of the red states and make them blue. And we see that happening. Why? You, because we all say, well, that's great because then we'll all be free and we'll all, we don't have to worry about religion. And we're not, yeah, you will worry about religion. It just won't be the religion that brings life. You will be bound to religion because them devils are spirit and spirits are about religion. See, you need to understand that all of those, that new age stuff to tell you that that's a new way of thinking, that's a new way of worshiping. Paganism is about worshiping the creature over the creator. So they need you praying to, to tree trunks and, and they need you praying to bushes and carrying on because that's what Cain introduced. Paganism, new ageism, all of that came from Cain. Cain that's Cain's religion. And so, you know, and, and, and look at, I, I'm amazed when I look online at how many uh, conventions they have on how to take out Christians, how to take out Christianity, how to eliminate Jesus Christ, how to abolish the righteousness of God. It's tons of them. They have something called the soul hunter. You know, we have the stalker, and then we have that old that old show with the guy that was warlock, the dead zone. And then you had, of course, we got Buffy, we got all of that, and now we've stepped it up a notch or three because Christians right now, it's not that you don't believe, it's not that you're not concerned. The issue that you're facing right now is you're stunned. They stunned you. You know, like that stunner punch in a, in a heavyweight bout. You're winning, you're doing everything, it's working well, and then all of a sudden your opponent lands that blow that stuns you. Your mind, you can't regroup your mind. You can't regroup. You need someone to help you. That's what the hard reset is all about because it's not that you agree. It is not that every one of us agrees. It's not even that we're doing as poorly as the media says. But now we've got to come out of shock mode and get into restoration and get into damage control because there's a lot. 
I mean, it's in your classrooms with your kids. Half of you never thought the fact that you don't have to let your child sit there and have homosexual classes. It never crossed your mind because you are loyal to the institutions that they're destroying. So what they're destroying, you're loyal to. So you don't want to upset the institution because your loyalty dates back to a season when, it, when America was a purer, gentler generation and nation. Now it's different. So there, I mean, we should. This thing should have been stopped when we talked about sex ed in school, when we started talking about condoms. See, the problem is you have already okayed illicit sex as part of the academic curriculum, and now you want to tell them that the orifice makes a difference. It's true. Come on up here, Paul. And so I, I need when we go forward. I really. And truly want you to understand, we have to go back to the drawing board, and we have to decide how important this is. Is this thing important enough for us to do whatever it takes to win? Are we going to be change agents that are easily changed when things don't go our way or when the cost is too high? Because when you are taking on a battle, you have got to recognize that War in, involves everything. It engulfs everything. It embraces everything. And this is a cold war between God Almighty and his fallen creatures. This is the war. Church, you got stuff. Notes. Notes. So I say that to you because I really want you to think differently. Like you, God said to me one day, he said, but I'm going to hold you all accountable for forcing my children, my my." Innocent babes to sit through classes and be converted to homosexuality by people who've had years of training to do it. That is not parenthood. That is not guardianship. That is not stewardship. You are, you are, you are subjecting your little babies to these age-old spirits and their philosophies and their religions. And you're saying, well, what are you going to do? You need to find an online school. You need to find a good school, a Christian school that's not, because, you know, some of these Christian schools have lost their way too. So you better look at their curriculum because some of these Christian schools think, yeah, but there are a, some, a lot of these Christian schools believe in fornication, believe in homosexuality, believe in abortion, all of the things that destroy life. See, because if you keep destroying life, there will be no one to occupy the institutions. Hmm. And you go first. Surprise. Surprise. Oh, my goodness. Um, <clears throat> you talked about a little bit earlier today how the ground produces according to the condition of the seed that we have to sow into the right ground. I thought that was powerful. There's so many times when we are wondering where the harvest was. Mm-hmm. Wondering, that whole conversation that you kicked off with today, really, really powerful and just understanding why certain things didn't come to pass mm-hmm. when it did. I think that a lot of people are touched with that particular infirmity where they feel like they sowed into ground um, and it didn't reap it, and it caused them to be bitter about sowing again, caused them to be you know, hesitant about giving again. <laughs> I just love how you brought attention to that today, um, that, it, that we, we don't think to question the quality of the ground that we're sowing into or even to hold ourselves accountable about the seed that we're giving and why we're giving it to even test our motivation to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was really powerful today. Um, you talked about asking God in that same kind of conversation what's important. 
important to him mm-hmm. to make sure that you're actually fighting for the right things. Uh, lastly, in that same uh, discussion, you talked about, you asked this question, and it had to do with soul maturity, which I think ties into the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Did you give God a chance before you reneged on your word? I love this show because it's going to make <laughs> you go back and ask yourself questions mm-hmm. that at that time that you were pulling out or at that time that you were making those heart vows, you were looking at all the external things. Yeah. Well, that preacher, you know what I mean, betrayed my seed or that, you know, that proved not to be good ground. We don't think to ask ourselves the question, did we ask before we even went there? Did we mm-hmm. ask before we even invested? Um, and giving God a chance before we renege on our word, that that has to do with maturity. I thought mm-hmm. that was powerful today. And it has to do with loyalty. You know, people have got to be taught to be loyal to God because carnality is about disloyalty. And, and, and it really is about, literally, carnality is about being disloyal to that which has brought you into wholesomeness, being disloyal. You think about it. Carnality is, yeah, I gave my word, but. Right. Yeah, I made a promise, but. I know I said I would do this, but but the word, you know, and they say, well, I don't want to do this because it's legalistic mm-hmm. and because it's uh, religious. But the word law that we are all banding about, you know, I, you know, I get in these, these tight spots with you all because I know you all are sitting there watching television, listening to these people who haven't visited these things in a long time. But the word law actually comes from a Scottish word that means loyal, in particular, loyal to the king. Mm-hmm. So law, keeping God's laws actually exhibits and demonstrates you're loyal to his sovereignty. You are loyal to his sovereignty. That's what his keeping his law meant. Now, I know people that say, yeah, but that's not what it was. I didn't say you were the attorney down the street. I'm saying the law that brought the Christian church, brought the people of God into creation, the very law that Yahweh spit out before he became Yeshua. So the word law is loyalty. And the word legal speaks to that which is regal. Again, the regality of the king. And so God, you know, when you, when you dig into this stuff, because people so often just look at, you know, we, we got it in our books, and a lot of Christians in their effort to tear us away from secularity, I think we splintered a lot more than we intended. But, so when they say, well, that's, I mean, I mean, that's under the law. You mean it's under the loyal, loyal code of the king? The king literally wrote a code that would tell him whether or not you are loyal to him. And, you know, the law is actually the Ten Commandments. That's why they've never been done away with. They, I know we told you that. Now, the rituals, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, we can have that. But Jesus said for a reason, I did not come as the king of kings, as King David, to abolish the law. He never said that. He said, I didn't come to abolish it. He said, I came to fulfill it. And fulfill is a modern term because in the beginning, because if you understand how that world at that time saw monarchs, saw kings, he came to embody it. He came to take it off paper and put it in his body because he was about to put us in his body. Mm. So we would obey the law from within his body. Mm. 
Amen. <laughs> I I was gonna uh, hone in on that as well. So you didn't you did uh, did you give God a chance to prove His word, and how we were sitting around a table, which ended in a very heated discussion with a Christian business person who said that in essence we were ridiculous for sticking to anything with uh, at that time had so much apparent loss to it and that they didn't do anything longer than three months if it didn't turn a profit that's right but god tells me to do something and it doesn't turn a profit in three months i'm out yeah and that sounds so like yeah 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 when you're sitting around those fleshly tables Mm -hmm. and you're wheeling and dealing but we could see the looks on the people who were with him and all that instability and they weren't happy and they were not pleased Mm -mm. and how you really have to give it time, just like in any other thing in business. They tell you what, don't even expect to see a profit in less than five years. Mm -hmm. Five years. You're doing five years of loss, five years of make. If you break even Mm -hmm. your first year, they're going to consider that a win. Congratulations. What have you been doing to break even your first year. And so we can see that although there are so many people who start and quit their business ideas because they weren't called. They weren't called and they certainly were not mm-hmm. prepared for the realities mm-hmm. or they felt that what God gave them was going to bypass the normal, the normal process. Right. The normal process. And even our magic kingdom doctrine really does set us up for sabotage because there are a lot of Christians with great ideas that go right down the toilet Mm -hmm. because it's been a year of loss. It's been two years, three years, five years. We haven't seen a profit. My family's on my neck. Mm -hmm. All those things about this, that, and the other. I'm just going to go back to work. I'm not, no, I'm not saying not to be responsible, Mm -hmm. but many of us have to do both. While one thing is growing up, you're still building this other Mm -hmm. And uh, it's just those realities that we're tapping into of there is no alternate universe of reality. Because <laughs> Jesus told you to do because it. Because God told me to do it. I mean, the Lord told a lot of people to do what they're mm-hmm. doing. We've, we've gone through scriptures. We've talked about it, how he's raised up enemies. Yeah. Your God. You, you taught on that, mm-hmm. but your God told me to do mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And he's going to come back around and smack you later. But still. And, and so we having to say, okay, I mean, I always love reading how David asked the Lord, but if, I, if I'm going to do this, am I going to win? Mm-hmm. Right. see, he knew. But he didn't ask until after he'd lived a lot of love. Yes. You're talking about 17 years. Yes, a lot. And he knew mm-hmm. that just because God told him to do something did not mean he was going to mm-hmm. come back victorious. Yeah. Or that he was going to back down the enemy. That's it. God's like, no. Yeah. Because you need to know. The warfare, though, and, 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 you know, when we do our soul of success for business people, entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. the warfare is to make sure that you, it's some very specific things. Mm-hmm. Number one, well, are you able to keep, you may want to keep that which Christ has entrusted to you. Right. But are you able, do you have the tools to keep it? Do you have the expertise to keep it? Do you have the fortitude to keep it? Or are you one of those people, I'm three strikes and out, or my mother's mad, my wife is upset, my husband is about to leave me. But so God throws a lot out there. You know, do you know the players? You know, you don't even know the physical, the human players, how much more the spiritual characters that are involved in pushing back on this darkness and pushing back on your ideas. I mean, that's just normal. And God needs you to be able to face off so that there is a logic and there's a wisdom because there's a logic to success. And there's a wisdom in that logic that 
says when you're ready and when you're not. And if you're one of those people that you're running on people's praise, when people stop praising you, you're going to quit? Yeah. If you're one of those people that you're running on that early, we appreciate you, yay, a newcomer in town, and then when it slows down, you're going to quit. And you're going to quit because you need too much external affirmation and you don't have enough internal motivation. To be successful, you need guts and grit. And so, and, and a lot of that grit your teeth. A lot of that grit's gonna be gritting your teeth <laughs> because it is difficult. But God is powerful, and large is weighty. Glory yeah. is weighty, and so He has to make sure you don't crumble under your success, that you don't sell out. He also needs another loyalty because when you sell out, you already have killed your dream. Your vision is dead. The moment you sell out, your vision is dead. You have now become a tag on of the person you sold yourself to. And because they're, they're going to let you know, no, uh-uh, I own this now. Oh, no, 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 that's not how I'm going to do it. Yeah, well, you know, keep doing it in public, but, you know, you and I both know that's not going to happen in the past. How do you think these churches got lost? Because they really believe folks who said the center prayer were saved. Right. And they really believed that the world wanted to partner with them. When God said friendship with the world is an enmity with God because the world doesn't like Jesus. They could do God all day long. I told you, God is like that, that, you know, that, what do you call it, that generic name for divine beings or invisible with God, okay? And so they believe that, but they really, but God knew differently. And God, I mean, think about it. The Bible is full of examples of people who thought it should be easy yes. and people who thought that everybody loved their idea and wanted to help them. Right. I hear Christians say all the time, yeah, well, you know, but, they, but she's Christian. And that's, that's nice. We can start there. That's nice. That's like saying, if, I, if, you know, if I'm going to do something um, a certain way, here's the basic ingredient. But you have got to recognize that if God called you to it, hell's going to see to it that you can't achieve it. So if you can't conquer the hell attached to your hope, because there's a hell attached to your hope, judge me. See that. <laughs> You're too <laughs> if you can't conquer the hell attached to your hope, you are going to tap out because you have got to know that what God gave you to do is real, and what hell doesn't want you to do is simply a trial. It's simply testing. You've got to, it's, it's your practicum. Oh, Jesus. There's a hell attached to every hope. That's Ooh. Jesus. Jesus had a hope. He had to go to hell. Quite literally. And he did go. So you want, in your mind, it is about a quick happening. Do you realize that it takes nine months to have a healthy baby? We can get one in six months. We can get a nice, stronger one in seven, eight, not bad, but it's that full-term baby that is healthy and strong and can withstand. It doesn't come out with feebleness. It doesn't come out with allergies and all sorts of conditions and predispositions that mean that this child is going to have an unhappy or very troublesome physical life. So it takes that. It takes learning your field. It takes learning the people in your field. It takes knowing what you, what you do right. But, it, but more than that, it takes what, knowing what you do wrong and knowing how to make it right because that's the strength. One more? Okay. Maybe two. Maybe two. Okay. Let's talk about envy and jealousy. I know everyone's 
probably hot on that one today because you outlined that difference between envy and jealousy. Um, I just love the distinction because so many times people will say, well, you know, if jealousy is out of God or, if, you know, if, if, then why does God say that he's jealous and those different things. And so I thought that that was powerful, you talking about the fact that envy, uh, you initially said wanting what you do not have a right to. And mm-hmm. then jealousy is, is being defensive of what you have a right to from someone who does not have a right to that. So I thought it was really powerful. But this, like rounding that all together, that in the garden,
Now you still have the Israel today and some of it. Don't get me wrong. So I don't want to miss the faith. 
And when Jesus saves you, get back on hell. Mm-hmm. So, and that's why he said, when, when the strong man comes, cast him out, they will look on his face. You know what you are, probably to his Get born again. And Jesus makes you monotheistic, not by a religious genetic process such as his mom, but by the divine promise of the Creator gives you the Godhead spirit, the Godhead nature, the Godhead uh, birthright, the Godhead body, the Holy Spirit. We're coming down. Last minute, so I want her to tell him again her supporters, uh, the motion tape online now. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.